It's October 16th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got a special report on the war in the Middle East this morning. It is a report full of updates that are shaping America and the world. We start in Israel, where the government there has turned the water back on in southern Gaza. That comes just as their ground offensive remains imminent. Next, I've got updates for you out of the Gaza Strip. Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Iran, where leaders there are warning that they will get involved in this war, which could include a nuclear weapon. Third, we pivot to how this war is playing out in Russia and China, with both countries backing Hamas and the Palestinians and criticizing the Israelis. I'll explain why. Later, we talk about the latest coming to us from Europe, Latin America, and the United States, with lots of updates out of America about the increase in terror threats to you and I in the homeland. Plus, Joe Biden is pivoting from a pretty strong focus on supporting uh, the Israelis to actually supporting the Palestinians. I'll explain why he's now making that switch. So let's get started with this special report of the morning with one piece of advice. Grab your maps, ladies and gentlemen. You might need them. And for paid subscribers, you all can follow along with the links this morning in the transcripts. I think those might be helpful for you. So we start this morning in Israel. Just over one week since Hamas launched their terror attacks, as listeners know, those attacks led to the slaughter, rape, and torture of over 1,300 people, from Israelis to Europeans, Americans, even citizens from places like Thailand. They were working in Israeli fields that weekend morning when they were gunned down by Hamas terrorists. At this hour, Israel is continuing to prepare for what their defense forces are calling significant ground operations. In other words, that anticipated assault on the Gaza Strip, which will include not just forces on land, but also sea and air. When exactly this is what will start, that is unclear. The deadline for Palestinians to leave that northern Gaza area, that deadline has expired. But Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu and his national security chief have both said that when this ground assault begins, quote, we will not only collapse Hamas military and governmental capabilities, we will ensure that they will not be able to revive themselves afterward, end quote. Next, Israel is confirming that 126 Israelis have been kidnapped by Hamas. That number is actually re- uh, revised downwards from 150. But sadly, that is only because the government has found and recovered additional bodies of victims. In that number of recovered victims, that includes two Israeli journalists who were very staunch activists and uh, advocates for the Palestinian cause and rights. They worked for a local leftist media outlet for years advocating for Palestinians. But that did not matter in the end because Hamas murdered them. Speaking of kidnapped victims, other nations continue to work to find out which of their citizens have been taken and which ones have been killed. The United States, for example, has no idea of the number dead or kidnapped. The National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan admitted that yesterday on CNN. Also out of Israel, more news that vigilante justice continues. Uh, Hamas has killed at least two fellow Palestinians for their alleged collusion with the Israelis. Meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, rather, there are allegations that Israeli settlers continue to attack Palestinians in the West Bank. Next, we move on to the latest out of the Gaza Strip. 
where the Israelis continue their aerial counter assaults this morning. To the point, two leaders of Hamas who organized the terror attacks just over a week ago, the two fellows named Murad Abu Murad and Ali Qadi, those two fellows were killed over the weekend, both dead now, hit by Israeli strikes. That brings the current death toll of Hamas fighters and Palestinians to about 2,300, with many more injured. As you may have seen over the weekend, Gazans are trying to flee away from the north to the south, as they were warned to do by the Israelis. But those civilians are being blocked this morning by Hamas. The terror group is telling people to go back, to remain in their homes and not give up. In fact, satellite imagery from Israel's defense forces show that Hamas is setting up roadblocks in various places to prevent people from fleeing. There have also been attacks on civilian caravans that are headed south, cars blowing up full of people that are fleeing towards Egypt. So these strikes appear to be IEDs or bombs that are inside at least one of the vehicles on the roads. And that would suggest that Hamas is actually killing its own people or damaging the roads to prevent folks from retreating to the southern part of Gaza. Hamas, as you would imagine, disputes that characterization, but it does make sense. Well, as civilians are heading south for those Palestinians who are able to get through, Israel is agreeing to turn the water back on to these southern areas when they get there. As listeners will recall, Gaza's water supplies had been cut off from Israel for about a week now. But Israel's Prime Minister Netanyahu has agreed to turn the spigots back on, all as a part of an agreement that he made with Joe Biden over the weekend. Now, if you've got your maps, I want you to look to the south of the Gaza Strip. You are going to see one road connection between the southern part of Gaza and its neighbor in Egypt. It's called the Rafah border crossing. Now, this passage has been mostly, if not totally closed for some time now, either because Egypt has forced it closed or allegedly there was an Israeli missile strike that forced it closed. Or the third possibility is that Hamas blew it up to prevent those civilians from fleeing across the border to safety. But whichever of those three is the actual reason for that Rafah border crossing to be closed, negotiations are continuing this morning, certainly between the U.S. and Egypt, to open it for at least American citizens and possibly other foreigners. There are reports that that might happen at some very early hour this morning. But even if Egypt agrees to do it, the question is whether Hamas will allow it. Reports from the White House say that they're not, and they won't. Then again, Egypt might actually prefer that the border stay closed. And that is because they actually do not want the Palestinians in their country. There are a few reasons for that, but here is the big one, and it's something that you might not know. Palestinians and their leaders in Hamas have very close ties to an organization called the Muslim Brotherhood is an Islamist group that for decades has either pushed or attacked Arab governments into being more Islamic, or some might say more radicalized. And here's their argument in short. The Muslim Brotherhood argues that there should not be a difference between religion and state. In other words, the government should be a religious government upholding religious Islamic law, Sharia law, and ultimately spread Islam all around the world to create a new global caliphate or Islamic ummah. In other words, no Christians, no Buddhists or Jews, nothing else but Islam. The Muslim Brotherhood has been pushing this idea or a variation of it since the organization was created in Egypt all the way back in the 1920s. And that has inspired radical Islamic groups of all kinds over the years to start up or branch off of the Muslim Brotherhood, and that includes groups like the Islamic State, Islamic Jihad, and Al-Qaeda, which 
By the way, looking back at our maps, those groups, or at least Al-Qaeda, continues to operate terror cells in Egypt's Sinai Peninsula. So that is the history, right? The context of the Muslim Brotherhood and its connection to Hamas and the Palestinian people. And that is why, as of this morning, Egypt does not want the Palestinians or Hamas crossing into their country, right? Those Palestinians and or their leaders embrace the Muslim Brotherhood or their use of terror as a political tool to make a country more Islamic. And that is why yesterday officials in Cairo said that they reject, quote, Israel's displacement policy and attempts to finish the Palestinian cause at the expense of its neighbors, end quote. Now, it is also true that the Egyptian government does not want the financial burden of caring for hundreds of thousands or millions of very impoverished Palestinians either. But that aside, it is largely this concern about radical Islam and ties to Muslim Brotherhood that is causing Egyptian authorities to, well, just throw down the hammer this morning and try to keep that Rafah border crossing absolutely closed. Interestingly, it is also why Hamas is now praising the Egyptian government this morning for doing just that. They also want to keep the Rafah border crossing closed, although for very different motivations. For what it's worth, other Arab governments and their people this morning are saying the same thing. They don't want the Palestinians to flee into Egypt either. Indeed, Arabs would prefer that the Palestinians remain in the Gaza Strip, even if it means that they will be used as human shields against the Israeli bombardment. Now, that might seem absolutely crazy or outlandish, but it is true. And that is because Arabs ultimately want to ensure that their people, that Islam, doesn't lose even one shred of land to the Israelis more than they already have so far. In fact, we talked about that last Monday, in case you missed that brief. So that is the latest, ladies and gentlemen, the facts and data out of Israel, Gaza, and Egypt this morning, which, for the record, I anticipate these places are going to be the areas of greatest focus over the next 48 to 72 hours. With that, let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion on what I've presented to you so far. So some folks might object to this idea that Arabs might want the Palestinians to stay in Gaza Strip to be human shields. Some folks might say, well, that's just outlandish, Brian. How could you say that? Well, here's an ugly secret that I learned while I was working at the CIA, because I got to talk to a lot of people within Arab governments and average Arab citizens on the street. And here's what I will tell you I heard consistently. These folks do not especially like the Palestinians. I heard many times from Arab diplomats uh, included that they refer to the Palestinians as backwater and ignorant. But Arab governments, they need these Palestinians. They need them to hold on to the ground they view to be as Arab. Ground that, as I shared with you last Monday, is now the Israeli state. So I am not in the least surprised that Arab nations want to hold that border closed with Egypt this morning and force the Palestinians to go back into Gaza. It is ultimately for the broader Arab cause. In some cases, ironically, horrifically, some Palestinians are actually fine with serving in this role. As I shared with you last week, Palestinians voted for Hamas over 15 years ago to govern them in the Gaza Strip, knowing exactly who they were to include the use of terror. Also, from just a couple of years ago, polling showed that Palestinian support for Hamas went up when they conducted terror attacks against Israel. And I'll tell you, if that seems hard to believe, here's the headline from the Associated Press from just two years ago after Hamas attacked Israel with terror. Quote, 
poll finds dramatic rise in Palestinian support for Hamas, end quote. So I want you to keep that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, towards the end of the episode today. It becomes very important when we start thinking about the motivations of the Palestinian cause and people. But back to my final reflection before we take our first commercial break. It's not just that Arabs want to hold that contested land in Israel, as we discussed last week. There is also a fight between Arabs about who they are. Should their governments be more like uh, the Taliban or something close to it? Which is what indeed the uh, Muslim Brotherhood ultimately wants, right? A strong Islamic government where there's no separation between mosque and state, as it were. Or perhaps other Arabs argue that Arab governments should be more like the West, where there is a separation between church and state, where there is a secular group of people who run the government, right? This intra-Arab fight is partly why that Rafah border crossing isn't open this morning. Egypt's government and the military, they do not want to be more Islamist, right? And they don't want to deal with more Islamic radicals. No more Hamas or Muslim Brotherhood sympathizers. They've already got too many of those, especially in the Sinai Peninsula. So that is the complicated mess this morning. It is a fight over, yes, the most contested land in all the world between, yes, Jews and Muslims, but it is also a fight between Muslims themselves. And it is a fight, as ever, with absolutely no easy solutions. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. We'll be right back. Folks, they said it couldn't be done. Industry experts said that America could never rebuild its textile industry to once again make clothes in America for the American people. But those experts were wrong. A giant proved them wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to proudly introduce you to the company American Giant. They make clothing right here in the United States. And they do so for men and women alike. They've got shirts and hoodies, polos, jeans, jackets, you name it, American Giant makes it. But it is not just some company making stuff. It is seamsters, cutters, factory workers, your neighbors in towns and cities across the U.S. who are reopening factories to once again bring together pride, purpose, and people. So if there were ever a time to show your support for this country and get a high-quality product in return, the time is now. And the company is American Giant. And if you do, folks, if you buy clothes from American Giant, I'm going to save you some money. 20% off your first order. So here's how you do it. Just go to American-Giant.com. And once there, you've got a whole range of categories to choose from for what it's worth. I love their hoodies. I'm telling you, you put this thing on and you can just feel the sturdiness. You just know it is so well made. So fill up that wardrobe. Get your fall and winter clothes right now at American-Giant.com. Use promo code right at checkout, and you are going to get 20% off your first order. Again, that is 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code right. Folks, let's rebuild this country, and let's make America giant. Well, the world is just awful lately, isn't it? And sometimes it makes you just want to crawl into bed and scream into your mattress to make it all go away. Well, if you do, just make sure that your mattress is made by Ghost Bed. Seriously, folks, GhostBed makes the finest mattresses on the market today with craftsmanship and high-quality materials that you can feel as you fall asleep. And I would know. I have their Lux model, and I bought it because I sleep hot, and that thing helps keep me cool all night long for a great night's sleep. Now, people have asked, how does this technology work to cool you? I don't know. Magic? Maybe little elves in there somewhere with ice cubes? 
probably. But it doesn't matter. Their mattresses, ladies and gentlemen, are top notch. And if you don't believe me, that's okay. They have a 101-day trial period plus free shipping and returns, so you can try it out in the comfort of your own home. So go to ghostbed.com backslash right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And you can explore all of their incredible models. And right now, they are giving my listeners 40% off their ghost bed purchases. But you got to use that code right. Again, go to ghostbed.com backslash right. W-R-I-G-H-T. And get yourself the good night's sleep that you deserve. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our special brief this morning with a pivot towards more news about the international fallout from this war in the Middle East. And to do so, let's take a look at our maps and let's step back a little bit, scope out a touch, and look at those various regional Arab governments and what they're saying this morning. Although one thing that we should talk about as we do this very important message for why we should care The Biden White House is sending a second aircraft carrier group, the U.S. Eisenhower and its affiliated warships, all to the Middle East this morning. The Eisenhower joins the USS Ford Carrier Strike Group in the region, which arrived earlier last week. And that, ladies and gentlemen, means that we have many thousands of our men and women in uniform who are just a stone's throw away from this conflict. So let's talk about those Arab governments that are now a stone's throw away from our troops. And let's start with the country of Jordan. They said over the weekend that Israel is pushing the region further into conflict and that any efforts to displace the Palestinian people would send the Arab world into, quote, the abyss, end quote. Jordan's foreign minister added that, quote, the war is killing and displacing innocent Palestinians, and that will leave the region and the world facing the repercussions of an environment of destruction and despair that Israel will create in Gaza, end quote. Next, we go to Israel's north. We have the country of Lebanon. That is a country that is effectively under the control of Iran and their terror organization, Hezbollah, plus their next door neighbor, that is the country of Syria. Over the weekend, we had more small-scale attacks from both Lebanon and Syria, with the Israeli military responding in kind. And that's making a lot of military and intel operators like me very nervous. And here's why. If we see a dramatic uptick in attacks from those two countries, Lebanon and Syria, that will almost certainly result in a regional war, frankly, the likes of which we have not seen since the 1960s and 70s. And that is a real possibility. And that's because Hamas and Hezbollah are both very well armed and very well organized to Israel's north. They have worked together for many years, and that includes on these recent terror attacks in Israel. In fact, as we are now learning, the attacks that we saw about eight, nine days ago, they were organized and funded by those groups and their bosses in Iran. Speaking of Iran, let's look at our maps again, and let's talk about the latest of what Iran is saying and doing this morning. And here's the bottom line. They are telling Israel that if they do not stop their advance on the Gaza Strip, Tehran will get involved. Here's the quote. If the Zionist aggressions do not stop, the hands of all parties in the region are on the trigger, end quote. So as a reminder, here is precisely what is on the trigger. Iran can make fissile material necessary for a nuclear bomb in about 12 days. That is often referred to as the breakout time from when they decide to to make this stuff to when they have it on hand. So let me just pause for a moment on this very sober point. And I want to just offer you a touch of analysis and opinion before we go on, because it is so very important for us to watch over the coming week. 
If the Israelis were to discover or learn that Iran is, is starting to produce that material for the likely bomb, the fissile material, well, almost certainly the Israelis would strike Iran first. And at that point, if that were to happen, uh, all bets are off. Especially if Israel uses any part of their nuclear strike capability to take down Tehran. More on that in a bit. But the point is, ladies and gentlemen, what is happening in Syria and Lebanon, and indeed what the, the Iranian government chooses to do, it is wildly and absolutely important. Speaking of, let's now switch gears from Iran to their longtime enemy. That is, of course, the Arab country of Saudi Arabia. Well, this morning, these two enemies, at least historical enemies, they're getting along a little bit better. And that is, unfortunately, bad news if you are Israel. To explain why, let me offer you a little bit of context and history. So first, we have to understand that Iran is made up of people that belong to Shia Islam. They are Shia Muslims. Meanwhile, Saudi Arabia is home to Sunni Muslims or Sunni Islam. Now, roughly speaking, it's sort of like Catholic versus Protestant uh, Christianity, right? And if you know that history, the fight between those two Christian groups, you know that that was bloody and it lasted for centuries. Well, if we could use that analogy here, the Iranians and the Saudis have been also locked in a roughly similar fight for centuries, in fact, over a thousand years, for what is the purest form of Islam. Is it that Shia Islam in Iran, or is it the Sunni Islam in Saudi Arabia? Well, as those two nations and those two forms of Islam have fight now for centuries, if not well over 2,000 years, there's something very interesting happening between these two nations, something very curious. Over the weekend, the Iranian president called the crown prince of Saudi Arabia to dialogue on what comes next in Israel, as well as the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. Details are sparse on what they discussed, but the Iranians said that the phone call between the two was, quote, good and promising, end quote. Meanwhile, the Saudis say that they're just trying to engage with all international partners, trying to halt the ongoing escalation. But they did say, quote, we affirm our unwavering stance in standing up for the Palestinian cause, end quote, which just to be very clear here is to take back Arab lands and wipe Israel off the map. That is certainly the belief of the Iranian government. We shall see, though, if Saudi Arabia plays footsie with that idea or gets any closer to that very strange historical alliance. And speaking of strange alliances, we've got a few to talk about between Arab nations and this next country, that is China. Beijing this morning is blasting Israel, saying that the Jewish state has gone too far in its response to the terror attacks. In a statement and in calls with Saudi Arabia, China's foreign minister is making clear that Beijing thinks that the Israelis have gone well beyond self-defense and that it is the Palestinians that need our global focus and help to prevent further harm to them and their basic needs. As you would expect, uh, Chinese social media is responding to that call. They are erupting with mostly support for Hamas and the Arabs. In fact, the former editor-in-chief of the propaganda outlet called Global Times said this, quote, we should not be influenced by public opinion that is dominated by Jews and the Americans, end quote. So if you're wondering why the Chinese are doing this, supporting Hamas and the Arab cause, it is mostly coming down to ensuring that they have a steady supply of Middle Eastern oil. But it is also because Beijing is trying to push America and the West 
out of the Middle East to reduce our influence in the region. So that is why China is choosing to echo the talking points of their new Arab partners and not the Israelis. Speaking of partnerships with the Arabs, we've got a quick update from Russia. Moscow is getting praised this morning from Hamas. Quote, we appreciate Russian President Vladimir Putin's position regarding the ongoing Zionist aggression against our people and his rejection of the Gaza siege, end quote. Although, to be fair, that is probably not exactly right. Russia is drawing closer to Iran, not so much Hamas, not directly anyway, all because Tehran is providing Moscow with all that support it needs for its war in Ukraine. Plus, much like China, Putin is trying to overthrow Western rules and orders. So backing Iran makes a lot of sense. So those are the latest facts and data as we step back a little bit further. And and we look not just at Israel and the Gaza Strip, but in fact, all Arab countries and their allies this morning from Jordan to Iran, Saudi Arabia, China and Russia. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion on these developments Folks, what you are seeing is a reordering of the world's power. We're living through history. It's a new world where Russia, China, and Arab nations are starting to close ranks and support each other, to include Hamas and their terror attacks, all ultimately to beat Europe and the United States. Now, there are a lot of implications of this, but one is this. If Iran thinks that it can get away with striking Israel, up to and including nuclear strikes? Would they do it? Do they think they'll get away with it? Do they think that they'll have the support to do it? And if so, what would the Western response be? In other words, what would Joe Biden do if Iran or the Arabs try to launch one final holy war to take back the land that they see as theirs? Uh, We can say that a little differently. Does Mr. Biden have any political leanings or vulnerabilities that might tell us what he might do in that kind of scenario. Well, we are going to talk about that coming up next. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with continuing special coverage this morning of the war in the Middle East and the global fallout. We now turn to what is happening in the West, in Europe and the United States, which are Israel's traditional supporters. But you wouldn't know it this morning, and here's why. Let's start in Europe where there are growing protests throughout the continent in support of Hamas and the Palestinian cause. Thousands of protesters in the countries of Switzerland, Denmark, and France, where protests were actually banned over the weekend, but they still occurred with one Islamic terrorist killing a teacher. In Denmark, by the way, one of the pro-Hamas protesters said this, quote, People must speak up about what is happening in Gaza at the moment, as millions of civilians are being killed, and it's not acceptable. End quote. Well, that, of course, is not true. The death toll in Gaza is around 2,000. But it is important to know, ladies and gentlemen, that propaganda is being spread all around and including by pro-Hamas and pro-Palestinian groups that indeed the death toll is in the millions and that people in the West ultimately believe that. Well, it's not true and we should know that. Finally, out of Europe this morning in Germany, leaders in Berlin are advising Jewish people to hide their faith. That is because there are too many migrants and Germans protesting against the Israeli people and in favor of the Palestinians. The fear in Berlin is that it could become violent and more Jews in that country could be killed. My God. 
Next, we leave Europe for the United States, but with one quick stop in the Latin American country of Colombia. We spoke of this country back on June 28th and again on September 19th, but to refresh our memories, Colombia's president is a man named Gustavo Petro. He is a radical leftist, a former terrorist associated with the leftist terror group M-19. Well, this morning, Mr. Petro is comparing the Israelis to the Nazis. So here's the context. Mr. Petro saw an interview of an Israeli government official justifying the cutting off of electricity and water supplies to Gaza. And in response to that interview, Mr. Petro said, quote, this is what the Nazis said about the Jews, end quote. He then added that, quote, Gaza is being converted into a concentration camp, end quote, and that Palestinian children are being, quote, murdered by the illegal occupation of their territory, end quote. By the way, if you're wondering how Mr. Biden or other leftist governments uh, in North America or South America are responding to that, well, they're not saying much. Mr. Biden has not responded, nor has his vice president or any senior Biden White House official, at least according to my research. The only person to respond to this in the whole of the Biden administration is a low-level State Department officer who said that her specific office strongly condemned Mr. Petro's remarks. Well, we might say that that is a bit of indifference, and if indeed that is true, let's take ourselves back to the United States this morning. It is a home that you are about to see on one hand is united in opposition against this terror attack from Hamas, and yet, on the other hand, some people very much support both Hamas and the broader Palestinian cause. So let me tell you about that division. A poll out over the weekend from CNN shows that about 70%, 70% of Americans believe that Israel is fully or partially justified in a counterstrike against Hamas and the Gaza Strip. Although there is one very important partisan split. 68% of Republicans say that Israel is justified in their response, but you compare that to just 38% of Democrats. And that same split is true of the young versus the old in this country. Only 27% of those aged 18 to 34 say that Israel should just be justified in their response. The older Americans say the opposite. They were much more likely to support Israel and a military response. Although that is not terribly surprising, because as listeners will recall from last week's briefs, recent polling shows that Democrats largely support the Palestinians over the Israelis, while the GOP largely supports Israel. And that probably helps explain three important developments that I want to tell you about that happened over the weekend in this country that we definitely need to understand. First, protests in favor of the Palestinian people and Hamas fighters grew over the past week in the United States, including since we spoke on Friday. And that includes a growing number of American universities who are supporting the Palestinian cause and terrorism. Let's run through a few of those examples. At Yale, a professor called Israel a murderous, genocidal settler state. Jewish students are outraged trying to get that professor removed. Meanwhile, at Harvard, fallout continues over student groups there saying that Israel is solely responsible for being attacked. Harvard's president came out to defend those students who are being attacked on all sides, saying that rather the school would support them. That's because Harvard is a beacon for free speech, she said, the president of Harvard, that is. Never mind the fact that the school ranks dead last in the nation for free speech because they have previously censored the voices of conservatives. Next up at Stanford University, a professor there demanded that Jewish students in their classroom 
pick up their belongings and stand in the corner because that is what Israel does to Palestinians. That professor, well, called the Israelis and the Jewish students colonizers. And now those individuals, those students are trying to get that professor removed. Next, at the University of Virginia, a professor gave extra credit to their students who attended a pro-Palestinian demonstration. The gathering helped show students how they could express their solidarity with the Palestinian resistance. Finally, at Columbia University in New York, a leftist activist attacked a student for his support of Israel. Later, those same leftist activists shouted things like, quote, from Palestine to Mexico, all the walls have to go, end quote. So those are just a few examples of the growing rage at Israel and American universities and the leftists that run them. Moving on to the second important set of domestic developments over the weekend, we head to Washington, D.C., and this one is important, ladies and gentlemen. The FBI issued a warning on Saturday that the number of domestic terror threats have spiked in this country over just the past week. Director uh, Christopher Wray said on Saturday that, quote, there is no question that we are seeing an increase in reported threats, and we have to be on the lookout especially for lone actors who may take inspiration from recent events to commit violence of their own. I would encourage you all to stay vigilant, end quote. Well, as I shared with you on Friday, my sources are saying exactly the same, although a bit more detailed and a bit more frightening, frankly. There is a lot of terror chatter right now with profound uncertainty about when and where. So as ever, heads on a swivel. Third and finally this morning, Democrats and leftists in Washington, D.C. are pivoting to a new series of talking points, all in support of Palestinian causes or interests. Let's start with Mr. Joe Biden. He tweeted out this yesterday, quote, the overwhelming majority of Palestinians had nothing to do with Hamas's appalling attacks and are suffering as a result of them, end quote. To be clear, Mr. Biden did not provide any evidence for that statement, nor did he address the previous polling that I mentioned earlier that showed that actually Palestinians support Hamas and that their support grows after Hamas conducts terror attacks onto Israel. Meanwhile, last night, Mr. Biden said in an interview with 60 Minutes that Israel would be making, quote, a big mistake, end quote, if they occupy the Gaza Strip as a part of their counterstrike. Well, that is Mr. Biden over the past couple of days with a very clear pivot away from what he originally said, which was his unwavering support of Israel. Meanwhile, his fellow progressives and leftists are now calling for the United States to take in some of the expected Palestinian refugees. Democrats and socialists like Representative Jamal Bowman of New York said over the weekend that, quote, The United States should be prepared to welcome refugees from Palestine while being very careful to vet and not allow members in of Hamas, end quote. Although, unfortunately, Mr. Bowman did not say how that vetting would happen or whether we would let in people who might not be members of Hamas, but they support them ideologically or they support terrorism as a just act against a colonizer, as they say. For the record, Republicans and independents are not interested in this idea of accepting Palestinian refugees. More on that later this week. But the point is this. These developments over the past few days do raise the question as to why Mr. Biden and his party are making this pivot from unconditional support of Israel to saying things like the overwhelming majority of Palestinians have nothing to do with Hamas. So to understand that pivot, 
Ladies and gentlemen, let's take our final pivot of the morning away from facts and data to my analysis and opinion. So let's start with this. As we all know, Joe Biden is running for re-election, but he's got a problem. American voters do not like him. I started sharing with you over the summer and into the fall that poll after poll show that he is wildly unpopular. And that includes within his own base, within those liberals and progressives. Plus, there's this. A poll out over the weekend from the Associated Press shows that about 70% of Americans think that Joe Biden has done something either illegal or unethical regarding his son Hunter and those foreign business deals. So let me just repeat that. 70% of all Americans believe that we have a corrupt man in the White House. And Mr. Biden and his team know that. So he is being forced at some level to pivot on this Israeli issue to shore up his base, especially and including at those universities with their professors and students and the like. But we should be very clear about something. That base of support includes socialists in New York City who just last week held pro-Palestinian rallies with signs that had Nazi symbols saying kill the Jews. Right? That is Biden's base. He needs those folks, despite whatever rhetoric he offers. Right? That is now part of the Democrat base that he needs to win, especially when 70% of us think that he's corrupt. So putting aside the, the moral outrage of, of the fact that that is now part of the Democrat base, let's think about how that plays into the global implications of this war in the Middle East. To do so, let's imagine that we are a head of state of an Arab government. And as we sit in our capital, we look to the West and we look to Joe Biden. We know that he is weak politically and we know that he's running for re-election. But a key part of his base happens to be very pro-Palestinian. So if we are an Arab government, are we going to use that to our advantage? And if so, how? And thinking about this, how are we going to use that weakness in Washington, D.C., as Mr. Biden watches us and our fellow Arab countries further embrace China and Russia? Could we not also use that for our future leverage? In other words, ladies and gentlemen, America has a dangerously weak man and a party in the White House, and we've got this new growing global coalition of Arabs and Chinese and Russians, and they know what they have. They know their leverage. This is a moment of profound leverage for those folks. Meanwhile, let's continue our thought experiment, but let's imagine that we are not in an Arab capital this morning, but we are in Israel. We're the leaders of the Israeli state. What do we see this morning? Well, we certainly see the same things that the Arabs do. We've gotten empty promises and empty words of support from Washington, D.C. over the past week or so, but that ground is now shifting. Well, and that probably leads us to a lot of worry and concern, especially as we are hearing things out of Europe this morning to include Berlin telling Jewish people that they have to hide their faith. But as you think about how the West is changing, their lack of support, or it's now questionable. There is one very important thing that if we were leaders in Israel this morning, we would be thinking about. We have nuclear weapons, probably 100 warheads, maybe 200. And I tell you, if you are Israeli this morning, you are very glad you do, because those things are your insurance policy this morning. They are the only thing that will ultimately stand between you and the annihilation of your state as clearly many of your Western partners are getting a little bit wobbly on their support of you and instead embracing their more radical leftist elements of their parties. 
But let's put aside those thought experiments and let's actually put aside our own particular biases, whether they were pro-Palestinian or pro-Israeli. Let's talk about why this fight matters to all of us, irrespective of what we believe or think. Because if Iran or another Arab state decides that the time to strike Israel is now, perhaps using conventional forces or, or maybe using a nuke of their own, well, that's the end. That's World War III. And that is because, as you hopefully now see from this morning's brief and last week's briefs, there are just too many cooks in this Middle Eastern kitchen. Right? We've got the Chinese, the Russians, the Arabs, the, the Europeans, the Americans. Everybody is there competing with different agendas, agendas that ultimately cannot be reconciled. So from my perspective, here's the bottom line. This planet of ours is at risk unlike any other time since the 1960s, except I think it's actually more dangerous because it's not just two actors, the Soviets and the Americans. We've got more people who've got more nukes and more agendas. And that is why I don't know how this plays out. And neither does anybody else. Now, if we're hopeful or optimistic, it is possible that we could see a sudden outbreak of peace. All these nations now suddenly afraid of global war and the possibility of Iran or Israel's nukes. But if we're pessimistic, and I think it's fair to be a bit nervous this morning, it's quite possible that we could see a new holy war. God forbid, mushroom clouds. Frankly, I wouldn't be surprised to see there either of these two options, peace or war. So that is my ultimate takeaway and my advice to you. Keep calm, carry on, but be prepared. Not out of panic, not out of hysteria, but simply to be prepared because fate always favors those who are prepared. So let's do so. And if I may, if you are the praying type, <clears throat> you might want to send up a few prayers over the next couple of weeks because... Humanity could use it. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Good day.